When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. I, I know we didn't sing that song this morning. We've sung some really good songs this morning. But I just want to put out another song there for you. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground. Jay didn't know this is how I was starting my sermon when you talked about sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Those lyrics have been on my mind a lot this past week. I wonder if you've known that truth. Not just intellectually, not as a song lyric that you could, could sing, but as an experience of the, the soul. Are you, are you walking in that experience today, uh, over this past week, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. We know that there are circumstantial threats to that experience. We, in this world, experience trials of various kinds. There are stormy gales, as that hymn speaks of, that can toss our souls all around, disrupting our peace. Jesus told us that the Christian life, the way of following him, is a way that is hard. Matthew 7, 14, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few find it. But Jesus, uh, even in the midst of a great storm, Jesus can give his people peace. Uh, that's the main point that I want to draw out from that passage of scripture that Chuck read. We're, we're continuing on in our study of John's gospel, and I, I just, I, I do want to reiterate a little bit of context, but maybe this is redundant for those of you that have been here in previous weeks, but in these chapters of John's gospel, chapters 13 through 17, we see Jesus giving personal and intimate uh, instructions and preparation to his beloved disciples in the final hours before his departure from them. He would be soon betrayed. This is the night before his betrayal and his arrest and his crucifixion. And though in the throes of, of agony himself, though preparing for that awful suffering in both body and soul that he was about to experience, he was concerned. I keep telling you this because it just keeps striking me every week as I'm studying God's word. Even as he was in the midst of so much personal agony, he was concerned to speak comfort and stability and strength into the hearts of his followers. He wants them even in the midst of circumstantial uh, turmoil that was swirling around them, he wanted them and he wants you here if you're his follower. He wants you to know and enjoy his peace. Just look at that verse again, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. That is Jesus' word to us today. Uh, let's consider what he's talking about. What is this peace? And what has Jesus done to provide you with this peace? What is it? Verse 27 makes clear that it's the, it's the opposite of a heart that is troubled or, feel, or fearful. 
So this is not, though the scriptures do in other places speak of the peace that we know between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, though the scriptures speak of peace between nations and of that peace that Jesus will bring upon his return when he brings his peace and he makes his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. The peace here that Jesus is speaking of is a personal peace, an inner peace, a, a quiet, restful composure. The soul experiencing peace in this way is a soul that is not noisy and distracted and turbulent and fretful. It's the sort of peace that, that King David describes in Psalm 131. It's a wonderful little psalm that I use often to try to calm my own anxious heart. David says, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's the soul at peace, content, resting, trusting. We know it's not a peace that is rooted in pleasant or comfortable circumstances. Because Jesus said at the end of this speech, at the end of chapter 16, as he concludes his words to his disciples, and he begins in chapter 17 to pray to the Father, Jesus says at the end of this speech, I have said these things to you, surely including what he's saying here to us and to them in John 14. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And then he says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So this is a peace that we know even in the midst of tribulation. It's, it's easy to have peace when circumstances are pleasant. Right? When, when that new job offer that you've been hoping for comes through. When, when you have that exciting new purchase or when the test results that you're waiting for, the doctor calls, good news, everything's looking clear. That's yeah, easy to have peace then. We should praise God for those blessings. But that's not a, a peace that surpasses understanding. The world can understand peace when things are going well. Paul speaks of a peace that surpasses understanding. That is a restful composure. Even when the doctor calls and says, it's bad news, we need you to come in immediately. Peace, restful composure. When that exciting door that seems open, that you're moving towards slams shut in your face. Or when that relationship carries on in estrangement. When I ask the question, what is this peace? I'm telling you a little bit about it. It's a, it's a personal peace. It's a restful composure. It's not based on circumstances. But when I ask the question, what is this peace? What I'm really wanting you to think about for a few minutes, what I want to draw your attention to, is really one little word in the beginning of verse 27. What is this peace that Jesus leaves with his disciples? He says there in verse 27, peace I leave you with, my peace. That's that word my I want to consider with you. My peace. This peace that Jesus, is, that Jesus promises. Uh, this peace that he leaves with his disciples is the peace of the Lord Jesus himself. It is his peace. The, the peace 
I mean, you got to think about this peace. It's been very good for my soul to be thinking about this peace all week. The peace of the eternal son of God. Think about what that peace must be. The peace of the one who is the radiance of the father's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. The one who is upholding the universe at this very moment by the word of his power. The peace of him who is one with the father and so shares in the, the father's eternal nature and glory. When Jesus talks about his peace, uh, we are to think of him as the one who John describes in the very opening words of this book. In the beginning was the word. This is the one whose peace is being left to you. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. This is the one who gives his peace to you. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. This one offers his peace to you. Because of that eternal oneness with the father. We know that this peace of Jesus is the peace of the Lord. Is the peace of Yahweh himself. The one who is the one who does all that he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Think about that. Think about what peace you would know if you were able to do whatever you pleased in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all deeps. This is the peace of Jesus. He's the one whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand. What, what peace does a person know when nobody or no thing could possibly stay your hand? No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This peace is the peace of him who, as, as I read at the beginning of the service, he sits enthroned over the flood. He sits enthroned as king forever. He's not standing as king. He's not pacing around in, as king, troubled or frantic or panicking over all the, the wrong in the world because he is the one who has all the dominion over all things for all time. He is seated. He is restful. I'm, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he is in any way pleased by evil. But he's not threatened or thwarted by evil. He demonstrated. Jesus demonstrated that he had this dominion himself. Even in declaring as he does in this passage in verse 30. That it wasn't the ruler of this world who was ultimately ruling in the events to come. He says the ruler of this world is coming. But I'm doing as the father has commanded me. What's happening, what's about to happen is not that Satan is in charge. It's that I am showing the full extent of my love for the father. It is Jesus who was ruling over his own life. Right? He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He said, I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. 
And so when in just a short while, it's a few chapters away for us, but it's just a short few hours in Jesus' life and experience, just a few hours after giving these words, when the soldiers come to him and they're ready to arrest him and he, they're looking for Jesus and Jesus says, I am he. Do you remember what happens to these Roman soldiers when he says, I am he? It says they all shrink back and fall down on the ground before him. His peace is what's offered to you. He demonstrated that kind of authority throughout his ministry. This peace that Jesus leaves is the peace of him who heals the sick with just a mere word. The peace of him who feeds thousands with just a little bit of bread and a few fish. The, the peace of him who can raise the dead with less effort than you might rouse a teenager who is fast asleep because they need to get to church. I don't know if that happened this morning. It doesn't happen. Our, we, we, our crew wakes up. They're nice, up nice and early. He just says, Lazarus, get up. You can't wake up your teenager that easily. He raises the dead that easily. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. He commands the wind and the storm. I'm not going to go read there, Mark 4, in, in the interest of time this morning, but he... It's a great path. I mean, it's in a few of the Gospels. But oh, I love this story. And that's what's making me think of the stormy gale and when all around my soul gives way. And there's a, a stormy wind. The disciples are panicking. Jesus, what's Jesus doing while they're panicking frantic about the storm? You remember what Jesus is doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. He's asleep in the storm. And they rouse him and he just says, peace, be still. And the winds cease. And it says, and there was a great calm. That's a peace. And that's the peace that Jesus says he is leaving with you. That is the peace that can be yours by faith today. This is not just a peace. I'm, I'm yelling. Okay. I is I especially loud today? I feel like, I, my, like. Just relax. Th this is not a peace that you're just meant to admire from a distance. You know, we're coming upon the vacation season here. And some of you are gonna go on vacations and you're gonna post pictures. And I don't do the Instagram thing, but I get on Facebook from time to time and I see your pictures. And sometimes I see your pictures and I, 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 don't, I don't feel covetous, but I think, well, wow, I, that, you know, I, I kinda wish I got to experience that. My, seeing this picture, I kinda wish I was there. Jesus does not give peace that way, showing you something that you might admire, but not being able to experience it yourself. He says, I'm giving you my peace. He's leaving it with you so that you can say, just as surely as Jesus was asleep in a storm, that you can say by faith in Christ, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay in the world. We do no tribulation. We get tossed to and fro uh, by those waves of circumstantial trouble. We are grieved by various kinds of trials. And so our peace, because we start looking around at the waves and the wind and the boat that's rocking, we get shaken. Our peace gets shaken. But we, instead of being ruled in those moments by our feelings, we can look to Jesus in faith. Rather than saying to him, Lord, I, I'm in trouble, I'm in danger, I'm confused, I'm surrounded, I'm unsteady, I, I don't want this, I don't, I don't feel like I can handle this. He says, he says it lovingly. He says it tenderly. He says, stop looking around. Stop looking around at all the winds. 
and the waves. And look at me. That's what he's saying in verse 1 of this chapter when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace. The peace of him who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's giving to his disciples. Brothers and sisters, look to the Lord Jesus and marvel at his peace. It is his gift to us. But we must, we must work and train our souls to live in the good of this peace. Kids, have you ever received a gift? Maybe for your birthday, Christmas? Have you ever received a gift and you were very excited about this gift? But then when you opened it, it needed some, you had to do some work. You had to do some practice with the gift in order to get good at using the gift. And it was hard for you and you didn't want to put in the work. And so the gift is just sitting there in a closet somewhere. Like maybe one of those uh, hoverboards, you know, that people scoot around on. And you were very excited about it. But then you got on it the first time and you shook and it was a little bit scary. And rather than working to learn how to do it so that you could enjoy the gift, you just put the gift away and you, you're not using the gift. Do you know what that's like, kids? I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, kind of like, I just didn't think of that out of the blue. Jesus' peace can be like that. We have, to we have to learn how to use this wonderful gift that he's given. We have to talk to ourselves like the psalmist does when he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 116, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We have to train our, we have to look to him in faith. We are not to be passive in the application and the use of this wonderful gift of Jesus' peace. We have to preach the truth of who our Jesus is and what his peace is Therefore, Because of Jesus, we can say that the Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because of Jesus, we can say the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We know that Jesus is a faithful friend because he was willing not just to have all this great power, but to use his power to come from heaven to earth and love us and lay down his life for us. By his willing self-sacrifice, we know that this one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is unmistakably and omnipotently for you. That he is hiding you in the shelter of his wings. That nothing can separate you from his love. And if all that is so, if that's true in Jesus, then when you're being tossed around by a storm, when you're experiencing troubles and calamities and tribulation and distress and persecution and nakedness or famine or danger or sword, when you're experiencing that, when the boat is being rocked and your soul is in turmoil, you know that because Jesus is the Lord of the storm, he must have a good reason for it because this good shepherd is always pursuing you. He never takes a break in pursuing you with his goodness and mercy. He does it all the days of your life. He takes no break from pursuing you with his goodness and mercy. And he never makes a mistake. And so that you can know, even in the middle of a storm, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Now, I have to talk that way to myself a lot. 
So if you just think, now I don't yell it in my living room or in my office, because th that people would think that was weird. But what I just did there for the last two minutes, I have to do that a lot. Because I have to do that a lot more than probably most of you on this lawn right now. Not because my trials are so severe, but because I have a noisy, restless heart. But that's how we fight for peace. It's his gift, but we lay hold of that gift by faith. That's how we have to talk to ourselves. And that's how we want to talk to one another. Be a good question today. After I, last week I said, ask, ask one another, how's your love for Jesus? This morning you may want to just ask somebody, how's your peace? You enjoying the peace of Jesus? If not, why not? What's going on? And when you talk to one another in those ways, don't, don't, don't give one another superficial, shallow comfort. Don't do that. Don't say, oh, you know, I'm sure it'll be okay. I'm sure it'll work out. It'll, it'll be all right. That's not helpful. I mean, so we, sometimes we just need to be quiet and pray. We don't always need to say something. But if you're going to say something, tell them about Jesus. Remind them of who he is, of what he's promised, of what peace he gives. The peace of him who calmed the storm with a word. Encourage one another with these things, brothers and sisters. Because it's not a peace that the world can give. I know some of you are thinking, are you going to say anything about this text other than verse 27? I think I will. But let me just pause for a little bit more on the second half of verse 27. This is not a peace that the world can give. Because everything in the world is passing away. And therefore is ultimately unstable. And so it is no solid ground. It is sinking sand. If we are trying to use the things of this world for deep and enduring peace. This world makes its promises of peace. But everything that it promises is transient. It's fleeting. And therefore it can fail you in an instant. And it cannot be a reliable ground of peace. Great pleasures can rapidly turn to disgust or pain. Health, one day, can suddenly turn into illness the next day. Wealth can vanish. Jobs can be lost. Possessions can be ruined or stolen or destroyed. People who seem to be our allies can become our enemies. If you're here this morning and you are visiting with us and maybe you don't consider yourself to be a Christian, where, where in this world are you looking for peace? Friends? Romance? Children? A physical appearance? Health or fitness? A political victories? Ease? Hobbies? Work? Plans for the future? Can't you see that, that all that ground really is sinking sand? I mean, how much, of the, how much of the peace that this world offers was just sovereignly snatched away last March with the flick of his little finger when in his purposeful permission, we saw a microscopic virus run rampant across the globe? 
I mean, doesn't that convince you that nothing in this world can secure or guarantee peace? Because this world is passing away along with its desires. Only the Lord Jesus can give this lasting peace, this peace that remains solid and durable, even through the fiercest storm. Jesus alone is a sure and steady anchor in every fear and amidst every uncertainty. You have this promise nowhere else but in one who has overcome death and who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So let's think briefly about what he's done then to provide us with this peace. It's a marvelous peace. The peace of the Lord Jesus. Do you see why it's a peace that surpasses understanding? Jesus' own peace. But I think that our encouragement in this peace will even be strengthened if we consider all that Jesus has done or if we just even consider a little fraction of what he's actually done to secure this peace for us. And it will give us occasion to look at some of the other details of this passage. What has what Jesus done to provide this peace? Well, first he came from heaven to earth. Right? What, what an act of humbling condescension it was for the eternal word of God having existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternal glory, that he would lay aside some of that glory by emptying himself, right? Not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. It it seems as though that self-emptying is what Jesus has in mind when he says there that he's going back to the Father. Is it in verse 30? I didn't write it down. Is it verse 30 or 31? That he says, the Father is greater than me. We know that Jesus is, is equal with the Father in divine glory. In what way is the Father greater than him? Well, I think he is greater in glory in the fact that Jesus has now humbled himself in order to serve and suffer. That was a, a lesser glory than the Father knew of the, all that wealth and splendor of heaven. Jesus said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so that emptying, he was returning to that glory, to the Father whose glory is greater. But what a suffering it was, what a condescension it was that he would stoop down, that he who had known all that splendor from all of eternity, that he would come, that he would make himself poor in that way in order to provide us with this peace. What a savior he is, that he came in the first place. We know not only did he come from heaven to earth, but he obeyed the Father throughout his earthly life, even unto death, and was completely without sin. That's why he could say in this passage that the devil, the ruler of this world, had no claim on him. Right? What does that mean? He has no claim on me. Well, what it means is that Satan had no legitimate charge or accusation that he could hurl at Jesus because there was no damning sin in Jesus to condemn. Jesus' whole life was an offering of love to his heavenly father. Why why did Jesus suffer unto death? It was not because the ruler of this world triumphed in that moment. It was because Jesus in love was carrying out the father's eternal plan to bear the sin and guilt of all of his believing friends in order to provide them with his very own peace by restoring us to peace with God. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1, In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him 
to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's, his peace is going to flood the whole universe. But how do we sinful creatures obtain this peace? Well, Paul goes on to say, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so if you, if you are Again, visiting with us today, if you're not sure where this peace is found, if you're not sure what it is that you believe about Jesus, I do want you to think with me, especially for the next minute or two, because I want you to understand that in the Bible, peace is not just the absence of conflict or hostility, but it is a full-orbed flourishing. It is wholeness in every way. It is a harmony that we experience with God and with others and with the creation itself and with our own selves. This peace was once humanity's possession, but our first parents squandered that peace by their sin against God. And ever since then, each one of us, including you, including me, all of us on this lawn, each one of us has taken up arms against God through our sin. And that sin alienates us from God. Our peace with God has been fractured by our sin. And that fracture, that alienation brings about death as God's just judgment. And so it is impossible to experience true peace unless we are reconciled to God. And that was Jesus. Jesus' purpose in coming. Jesus made peace for all who would have it, for all who would receive him. He obtained peace by perfectly fulfilling God's will throughout his life and being obedient even to death on a cross, offering himself up in our place on the cross to endure the alienation from God and the abandonment of God that we had deserved for our sin. And so if you are with us this morning and you've not put your faith in Christ, please understand that real peace in this world, peace with God and peace with yourself does not come through this world, but it comes through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus. Turn from your efforts to rule your own life and submit yourself to Jesus and receive his gift of life and peace by confessing by confessing that you are a sinner, that you've turned from him and you desire to come back and be restored to him and to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gives you the right to become a child of God and to know this peace that surpasses understanding. He demonstrated that that peace is really for us, that that peace is a real solid, sure, reliable gift because he rose from the dead. And so he says in verse 19, because he lives, his disciples also will live. He, I mean, what peace would it be if we had a dead savior? If we had a savior who made great promises to us, he lived a nice life, he did some great things, then he died and he's been just buried in a grave for the last 2,000 years, what peace would that be? But he triumphed over the grave and he went back to the father as this passage says. And he went, when he went back to the father, he said that he would send the spirit to be with his disciples. I don't think any of us can properly appreciate. I, I mean, we should labor to, but I don't think any of us properly appreciate what Jesus has done for us in sending the Holy Spirit to us that we might know this peace. We, 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 are, we may not be well acquainted with the Holy Spirit, 
But what we're told in this passage is the Holy Spirit was sent, verses 25 and 26 say, he was sent to teach the 11 all things and bring to their remembrance all that he had said. And so this is another gift that he does to give us peace. He worked in the first 11 to remember, to cause them to remember what he said and to understand the things that he said, because you know how many times they were confused about the things that he said while he was on earth. He sent the Holy Spirit to help them understand and to help them to remember so that what they wrote in these books that we have that we call the New Testament, that we can be sure that they really are God's words. How much peace have you known, Christian brother or sister, from the scriptures? If you have known any peace, you can praise the Holy Spirit for coming into those 11 and guiding them along and helping them to remember what Jesus told them so that they would write it down for our preservation and peace. But not only did he guide and instruct the 11, but he sent the Spirit to be with all of his people. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. That image of an orphan is, is meant to conjure up the, the thought in our mind that we are bereft and we are exposed and we are defenseless. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no comfort in Jesus' absence. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no power to overcome sin. We have no strength to stand against the devil and his fiery darts that he shoots at us. But the Holy Spirit is sent to be the helper, to be our advocate, to be our comforter, to be with us forever. It's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus and the Father come and make their home in us, verse 23. It's by the Spirit that the love of the Father is, is poured, is shown to us, as it says there in verse 21. He's the one who shows us Christ. It's by the Spirit that we experience conviction of sin and new spiritual life and spiritual gifts. And I, I mean, I tried to pray you a lesson about the Holy Spirit in the pastoral prayer because Jeff is going to be upset with me that I didn't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. So I gave you five minutes in prayer about the Holy Spirit. But none of, us, none of us can adequately appreciate how vital, how impoverished. We would have no hope. We would have no peace. We would have no relationship with Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. But because we have the Spirit, because he has come to live in us, we know that despite our confining limits and our ongoing failures, we know by the Spirit that the end of our resources is not the end of our resources. We know that our own strength is not the end of our strength. We know that by the Spirit, actually, we can go, God's people can go from strength to strength. We have his all-sufficient help at all times. One of my favorite promises in the scriptures is 2 Corinthians 9. I believe it's verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And do you know what that grace is? That grace is the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit, even seemingly hopeless situations, we still have hope. By the Spirit, we know that however other people might disappoint us, however lonely we may feel, we know that God is not just for us, he's not just with us, but he has come to live in us. This is what he came to do. This is what he came to provide us with. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that divine power that we would have for life and godliness. He is the one when, when God's word promises that he will give power to the faint. And that he will increase might to him who has no strength. Have you ever woken up and said, I can't do this again? Whatever you had on your place, I can't go another day. I can't, I can't do it today. And then you come through the end of the day and you did it. He gives power to the faint. He gives strength to the weak. How does he do that? By the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Oh, he's done so much to provide us with this peace. 
I know it's getting late. And we have the joy of a baptism to celebrate. What, what scares you today, Christian? What, what threatens your soul's peace and comfort? What, what these disciples in the first century faced in that upper room as Jesus spoke to them was an absolutely unique turmoil in all human history. Right? The, the incarnate son of God who had been among them for three years, was now going to be taken away from them. And the circumstances seemed quite severe. There was going to be a betrayal. They were scared. They were confused. But what Jesus promised, though their troubles were different than what you may be experiencing this week, what Jesus promised, what he provided, was a peace and a person that abides forever. One man who knew that peace was a missionary by the name of John Patton. Uh, he was a missionary to the New Hebrides in the Pacific in the 19th century. And his story illustrates how the words of Jesus and the promises of Jesus and the spirit of Jesus can give us supernatural peace in some pretty tumultuous circumstances. Like going to, to proclaim the gospel to a group of cannibals. That's what John Patton went to do. He was warned by many well-meaning Christians that that was crazy, that he was going to be eaten by cannibals, and that would be a ridiculous thing for him to go and try to bring the gospel to them. But he went. He served on an island called Tana, and the natives had been mobilized against him in one particular instance that he recounts in his autobiography. There were hundreds of them with muskets and knives, and they were hunting him down to try to kill him. He needed to get on a boat and escape quickly, but he did not have access to one. And there was one man with him who he wasn't even sure that he could trust. But this man said, climb up in that tree over there and, and stay in the tree until they all pass around underneath. And I'll lead them down this path. And then when they go down, uh, then you can go down this other path. And he had no idea whether he could really trust this man, but it was his only hope. So he climbed up in this tree. And in his autobiography, he described that moment like this. The hours spent there live all before me as if it were but of yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the savages. Yet I sat there among the branches as safe in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone, yet not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. Brothers and sisters, that, that consoling fellowship, that spiritual presence of the Savior that he's talking about as he's being hunted by cannibals, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the same spirit that Jesus said would be left with you if you've trusted in Jesus. When you think about what you're fearing this week, it may not seem quite like being hunted by cannibals, but it may be pretty severe. And yet that spiritual presence, that consoling fellowship that was John's patents can be yours today. What fears do you have? Is it something that God may call you to go through? Something he may call you to do? 
Is it the fear that some prayer request you've been praying will not be fulfilled as you've been asked? Is it that a particular person may, uh, what they might think of you if you do the thing that you believe God has called you to do? Is it simply the thought of continuing on following Christ if nothing in your circumstances changes? Is it doubt or weariness? Whatever it may be, I pray that you might believe in the Son of God and that you might receive his gift, his peace, coming to you in the ever-present power of the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, living in you, trusting in his power and wisdom and goodness so that you might be able to sing even in a storm, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Oh, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us. You have done so much to help us. And we scarcely can fathom all that you have done. Grant us to know your peace. Grant us to know the Holy Spirit. May we enjoy communion with him. May we encourage one another to hold fast to Jesus. And may we know a deep and abiding wellness in our souls. Even when sorrows like sea billows roll. Because we know that you are good. We know that you are wise. We know that you are almighty. And we know that if you did not spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, we know that you will not withhold from us any good thing. Give us a deep conviction that that is true, Father, and make it well with our souls. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.